Um, let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Several months back, we started out with the book of Ephesians. And I've been happily sidetracked for a while, you know, just following the Lord and doing what I felt like we needed to do. But let's go back to Ephesians. And uh, I don't know if the term would be the best term, but I'm going to use it anyhow. I, I, I can't assign best and least or by degrees books of the Bible. I, uh, but I love the book of Ephesians. There are some books that are, are yes, Colossians, Philippians, Galatians. Shall we start? <laughs> we keep naming them. Um, uh, I remember being about 12 years old and, and hearing that a family member had a, a dire health issue and I was 11, and I was told that right before bedtime, and I stayed up that night and read the whole book of Revelation at 11 years of age. I don't necessarily re recommend Revelation in the middle of the night when you're that young, but, but I, was, I was not resting, so I read the book of Revelation. Yes, I'm on a tangent. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be, but the book of Ephesians has been uh, one of the key books that God's used in my life. In many ways, the book of Ephesians encapsulates so much that has to do with the believer's life and the life of the church. Um, if you wanted a core values type of thing, I would say about the life of the church, how to live as a believer, Ephesians is a great book for that. Um, so if, if you were discipling someone, that's a great book. But I, I tell you, you can't go wrong when you talk about the life of Jesus. And so if I could disciple someone and have them, I'd say get to know Jesus more than anything else and then there's books in there that also will teach you how to live for him but if you can get his heart by knowing him then you've got it and uh you know Jesus this last week I was helping someone that had a question about some things and and when I responded they I responded about some of the guidelines that God gave us and mentioned the ten commandments and they said but isn't that the old, you know, that's 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 the old. That's not the new order. That's the old order. And I'm like, that's still the schoolmaster that's there to help teach us how to live for the Lord. You know, when you serve God and God alone, you're not missing it. That's right. You know, does God still command us to to honor Him and to rest? You, yes, we need that. Uh, you know, God's not opened the doors for stealing or for lying or for that, those things are still a, a schoolmaster to us. It's just that in, in, in Jesus coming and bringing truth to us, he was able to capsulize all that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we've got that piece in place. Let's love our neighbor as ourselves. Okay, let's not, let, we don't need to, we're going to continue, we're still going to be learning about loving God. We still need to be loving our neighbor in the time. But if you can love your neighbor like yourself, then Jesus said in this, the whole law is wrapped up in that. So, we better get to Ephesians chapter 4 or I might end up somewhere else. We have been through uh, and actually spent several weeks on just the first part of Ephesians 4. So today we're going to verse 17. And I'm going to read through to verse 27 and then we're going to come back. And I'm reading out of the NIV. I'm going to tell you, I enjoy reading out of the, the New Living Translation uh, in my personal study, but it is so... It's, some people just don't, uh, it's not as familiar. So I'm in the new, living, the, the new international version. So I tell you this and insist, this is Paul writing. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. That you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ in that way, or Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self 
created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speaking uh, falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who is stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. That's a different perspective, isn't it? We're going to stop right there. Even though the context continues and he's continuing to talk about these life-changing things that need to be going on in the believers, but I need to stop there because I just covered 10 verses and the way, how I'm going to be able to get through 10 verses today and not wear everybody out, I don't know. But the conversation will continue. Let's put it like that. To be continued. So let's go back to the beginning of, of the verse and just look at this. Paul, the first three verses, I mean, first three chapters of this book deal a lot about who we are in Christ and what was accomplished through Christ, the incorporation uh, God's, firstly, God's eternal plan and how he intended to restore mankind back to relationship and not just relationship, but functioning in relationship with God. Then he comes back and he talks about how we were once alienated from the promise of God. We were on the outside of this economy of God. We weren't participants in it. It was not being handed down to us, but how through Christ we have been now made, we are included with the Jewish people and the promises of God. And those promises that were given to Abraham weren't just for them, but they're for us too. Amen? So we've been included in things. And then he goes on and, and talks about some of the things that should be governing and being put in place to help us live this life of the Lord. He changes in, in, in verse, I mean, in chapter 4. And chapters 4, 5, and 6 deal a lot with very practical things with regards to living the life for the Lord. So he's gone from... I don't want to say just theory, but some of the analyzing our position in who we are in Christ. And now he's coming to a point, and it's becoming very practical. This is how we live it out. This is what happened. This is how we live it out. And so we, we have the opportunity to go through these verses and learn about areas of our lives that can be transformed. And he starts out with a strong emphasis in chapter 4 about the oneness and the unity that should be in, in the body of Christ. Now, let me just tell you this. If you look at the fractured, fragmented body of Christ. We have split and divided and categorized and come up with this name and that name to they're like this and we're like this. And we, humanity's kind of like that. We like things to be defined. We like it to be as specifically in place and we want to understand things. The problem with that is that the division is not good if it's an us versus them. I know I've had conversations with folks about this um, so don't take this personally if I, if, uh, it, it's, it seems like I'm talking about you, I'm not, because this has been something that the Lord has done with me for years, but in, in church work, I'm very mindful of pronouns, and, uh, I've seen through the years transitions with people that have been a part of the body of Christ, it, working together, worshiping together with us, and then all of a sudden, they'll come and sit in your office and said, well, when you do this, and when we do this, I'm like, okay, they, they talk about when talking about you and all of a sudden they've just distanced themselves in their thought it's no longer well when we as a body get together and do things when you get together as a church you understand what i'm saying was that not plain you understand what i'm saying so you can hear when somebody's pronoun change so i'm real sensitive to that when i hear somebody that's a part of our body and they're talking about you plural and they're not including themselves in that group and if they say when you know when we get together why don't we do this instead of saying when y'all get together, why don't y'all do that? Okay, I, I spent too much time on that. But this, this, uh, this amazing transformation, Paul, when he's talking about this, he's, he uses there's one body, there's one spirit, there's one Lord, there's one baptism. There's only everybody who calls themselves by the name of the Lord. If they're really believers, we are one body. That doesn't mean that we don't see things differently. I have different shoes on that you have on. That doesn't mean that we're not brothers in the Lord. There may be people that have shades of, of difference of, 
of belief or teaching or experience, and that doesn't mean that we're not one together with Him. So with regards to the body of Christ, I'm looking forward to God doing something that is we're able to be one and still be diverse. Okay? Um, I'm not trying to make this huge melting pot. We all have to be exactly the same because then you become dictatorial and everything like that. And also you... there's things moving in the body of Christ that's trying to become unified, but there's an embracing of things that are contrary to the will of God. There is no mix. When you embrace something that's contrary to God's purpose and God's plan and what God has established, you just stepped outside of God. The principle of the kingdom of God is that God is Lord. And when you start embracing things that He is not Lord... You just stepped outside of the kingdom. You just went into a different kingdom, okay? So with regards to the body, one thing that we're told that would be distinctive and defining of the body of Christ is that they would be one. So we need to learn to get along with our brothers and sisters. Sure does help in a household when people get along, doesn't it? Do you have differences of opinion? Yeah. (laughs) Except for Cecile and I. We are always. <clears throat> she told me to say that. No, no. No, I mean, you have differences of opinion, but then when everything, even after you've expressed those things, you're still committed to one another. That's what makes a marriage work. It's the determination that through thick and thin, through the good times and the rough times and through everything, I am with you. I've made that commitment. So anyhow, he emphasizes the oneness in the body of Christ, that we need to, to, to embrace one another. He also comes back and talks about the giftings that are in the body of Christ. He talks about the unity, that we're all one body, that we're joined together. Each joint's got a part to supply. I can't do everything. You can't do everything. But together, we can do a whole lot for the Lord, especially empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when I see that imagery of the body of Christ like that, I can't help but think about... Uh, um, Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones, how those old dry bones that had no life in them, when they got connected together and the sinew formed and the tissue formed and the skin came on them and then the breath of God came in, that they rose up a mighty army to be able to do the work of the Lord. So I've almost made it to the scripture we're talking about today. That took about 12 minutes. Okay. So let's go back to verse 17. Paul, talking to the believers, says this. I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of your thinking. Um, Paul says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Let me just say this. If Paul ever felt like he had authority as an apostle to the, the, the church of Jesus Christ, he's emphasizing this here. I'm not sure how it says in your version, But what he's saying here is he is imposing, not forcing, but he is trying to make an insistence on the body of Christ that they see this point. Um, uh, The New Living Translation says, with the Lord's authority, I say this. With the Lord's authority, I say this. The New American Standard Bible says, so I say this and affirm together with the Lord. In other words, he is making a statement here that he wants them to get. And he feels like that he's speaking it authoritatively to them. He's using the weight of his apostolic calling. He is uh, speaking this as a representative of the Lord. But he wants to make sure that they get it. I don't know if you remember that statement that mom made last week when she was standing up here. But she made a statement that stuck with me. And she said, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. And I'm going to tangent just a little bit right there and say, folks... We need to live purposefully. Are the things that we spend our time on of eternal value? It's, God does not mind us having fun. God does not mind us spending money on things that are enjoyable. It's not about that. We're not trying to become, and, I'm not, and we're not trying to become Amish or Mennonite or Y'all know who the Shakers were? You do, don't you? Shaker furniture? They were, the Shakers 
we would probably associate with uh, an Amish or Mennonite community in the way they lived. Um, they were communal in their believers, Christians, but communal in their living. Amazingly innovative in some of the things that you did. Some of these uh, straight back chairs that have the, like the ladder back to them. You've got the, the, the straps across the back. They're shaker chairs, right? I'm trying to get it right. I know y'all got furniture back. But they, what they would do, they had their dining table, and then they would take those chairs that they would sit at the table with. Everybody would come together to eat. Oh, a sidebar to that is that one of the things that they did not allow in the shaker community was they didn't allow marriage. So shaker families, they, people did not get married, okay? They loved the Lord. They would serve the Lord. They would work. They believed in hard work and diligence, but they, they didn't marry. And, but they would come have a communal meal, and when they got finished with the meal, they'd take those ladder back chairs and turn around and hang them up on pegs up on the wall so that they had the table available for a working space. Love the Lord, very diligent, hardworking people, but didn't believe in marriage. Guess what happened? They died out. There was one little piece of the puzzle that was missing. <laughs> they were sincere, loved the Lord, diligent in their work, but they didn't, they didn't marry. And so the end of the community ended up dying out a few years back. I remember when they were interviewing, there were two ladies left. They were elderly ladies. There was no one else to, to pass anything along to, and that community was dying out. And they were believers. They loved the Lord, but there was no regeneration. There was no... Uh, conception and birth there was no reproduction in other people and so it ended up that that innovative community hard-working people they were diligent and doing the right thing and loving the Lord but there was no reproduction and so they died out so it's possible to be very good at what you do and yet missing a piece of the puzzle and eventually you know one part of God's economy is and I've told you this that we have to maintain everything that we have that's good if you've got a good practice reading your Bible praying and talking to the Lord worshiping the Lord you don't want to stop doing those things and take on something else well you want to keep those things in place and then and then move forward so main sir certain aspects of our life that we need to just learn okay this is working well we need to maintain this but while we're maintaining that area of our life we also need to look at in what area do I need to develop to grow, to incorporate something new in my life? How can I improve or how, how can I mature in my faith? So we find areas of our life, this can be physical, spiritual, even with our thought life, where we need to, we need to mature, we need to incorporate new things into our life, in our spiritual life. You may be doing fantastic at the position where you are and the experiences that you are, but don't you ever hunger for something more? Do you, do you hunger for more? I do. I live with the anticipation. These last few days, while we've been caught up with family things and going up to visit Scott in the hospital and everything like that, I'll be going down the road and all of a sudden just feel like a wave of the presence of the Lord just fill the car. And God is just stirring me for the deeper and the more. And God's got more he wants to do. And I leap on the inside about that. Pastor Eric, you were talking about things that the Lord had done. We were mentioning that just briefly. But, you know... Pastor, I still think about you and I out there with that Lowe's tractor, that 12 horsepower pulling that hand plow back behind, <laughs> doing a garden out there when, when I was new to town. Uh, Pastor Eric was teaching me how to garden. Um, but something that, that has to happen in order for, for a fruitful field to be there is that you've got to pull stumps, you've got to clear ground, you've got to break that ground up so that the nutrients so that are exposed so that the rainwater can get in there well and so the seed can find a place to land. You're getting rid of stuff while you're doing that. But you've got to break up the ground in order to produce a fruitful harvest. You know what's interesting about that? Even though you have a great summer and you have that fruitful harvest, guess what you do next year? You don't say, man, what an awesome harvest we had last year. Wasn't that great? Your stomach's grumbling because you didn't plant anything. No, you go right back in in the spring and you break it up again. You turn that soil and you, you get ready for the, the new year. And our spiritual lives are like that. I trust that we never get to a place where we're just static in our faith. Wasn't that a great experience? Wasn't that a great year? We always need to be saying, God, what do you want to do this year? 
What are you wanting to do now? What will it take for us to be fruitful and to be able to accommodate what you're wanting to do? We want to receive the fresh seed. We want to do what you want to do. We want to produce the fruit that's for today. God will put his plow in. But Lord, you're turning everything upside down. You're changing something. Lord, you're doing something inside of me. I was comfortable with that. But God turns things upside down. The soil has to be, Lord, I'm receptive. Are we receptive or are we not receptive? Have I gotten to my sermon yet? I don't know. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He goes in and explains this. And let me just touch on this just a little bit. I have it as B under my, in my notes. That you no longer live as the Gentiles do. Other translations translate it this way. That you no longer walk. That you no longer live. That you no longer He's talking about how we conduct ourselves. What our mindset is and the way we live our life. That we, we no longer, you know, if we have goals or things that we want to do, we begin to allow, uh, align our activities. We align the way we spend our money. We align uh, our social network based on those goals or things that we're wanting to achieve. And, and what he's trying to say to the believers here is, look, don't base your life on the same type of values or morals or or uh, ambitions that the Gentiles had. Those people who, the Gentiles, don't just think of another nation. What's really the focus here when you speak of Gentiles is people that were separate from the promises of God. Because we're now within God's household, we're now within the economy of God. We've been included in the promises of God. It should transform our perspective. It should transform what we're living for and why we're living. And our, our passions... The things that are most important for us or to us should be realigned in, 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 in line with that. Now, y'all maybe remember that movie Chariots of Fire? You remember Chariots of Fire? There was a, an interesting uh, back and forth in that, and it had to do with Eric Little, 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 who was one of the sprinters in there, kind of the key figure in that. He ended up becoming a missionary to China. But... His sister was challenging him because he had this goal and purpose to be a missionary to China. But he also had an opportunity to, to run in the Olympics. And uh, he was fast. He had been distinguished as being fast. And uh, his sister said, but shouldn't you be focused on China? And I'm, don't, I'm not, I'm not qu quoting it perfectly. But shouldn't you be focused on that big picture? And he said, yes, but God made me fast. So it's important that even in our straining towards our spiritual goals and the thing God, God's put in our heart, that we also recognize that there are gifts and talents and abilities that God put inside of us that maybe God's... Just think of the platform that God gave Eric Little because of the fact that he was an Olympian and how many doors and opportunities and conversations happened before he went to China, after he went to China, but the notability that came and the opportunities that that opened for him because he worked with the tools that God had given him and it became a, a platform and a, something that propelled him in what God had called him to do. Years ago, I had a, a young man that, um, I'm going to be very vague, but somebody came to me that was wanting to be a missionary. Um, he was being pushed to be in the medical field by his family that were, were not Christian. And he came to me and he said, what should I do? What should I do? Should I go be a missionary or should I study medicine? What should I have told him? I said, go study medicine. I said, because if you get a degree in medicine, every door to every country will be open to you. You can go anywhere with that. And he, he did not agree with me and he's doing neither at this point and that's not a reflection god god can work in somebody's life but you know sometimes god puts a gift inside of you he makes you good and prepares you for something before you were ever born we need to learn to harness the natural that he's given us 
develop that, but then also uh, connect that because we're a part of his economy. Now that we're believers, take what God's given us, the resource and abilities. If you're good at business, be good at business. You can still do ministry and, and, and it, uh, come in contact with people and touch people's lives. If you're good at nurturing, take what you're doing and nurture. Nurture people into the kingdom of God. And, uh, you know, uh, sometimes believers get saved and they want to be spiritual and they just stop. It's like they hit this wall. You shouldn't have to be that way. God puts, he births dreams and he puts things inside of us. Because his intent is to use those. Okay, I'm spending a whole lot more time there than I wanted to. But he's saying that the Gentiles, those out there in the world, that they're in the, they're, they're been, they're no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. The New Living Translation says they're hopelessly confused. Their thinking has become cloudy. They are pursuing things. And you see this with, with uh, the... Uh, um, the idols out there, I'm not talking about American idols, I'm just talking about these celebrities out there that, that they rise to the top, they get notoriety, and then you see this spiral. because they're, they're, It's a futile existence. Look, money doesn't satisfy. It provides toys. I mean, it, it, can, it, can, it, it can provide opportunities for people, but it doesn't satisfy. There's a lot of very, very wealthy people that were very upset. You know, uh, fame... I, I knew of a, I, I knew a cousin to a very famous, I know you're going to be really impressed with this, but a cousin to a very famous pro wrestler. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about? <laughs> Who's that? Um, so uh, first cousin to that, that person, and they said that one of the problems that he had, he lived with that notoriety that when he walked into the, the place, when he went into a bar, it's on me, everybody, you know. Well, the money is going out the door because he's living the celebrity. He's trying to prop up the celebrity lifestyle, but it's a vanity. It doesn't satisfy. It's something that you're chasing. I knew, uh, I had a friend who was a, a, a very wealthy guy down in, in Florida, and he came to a sad realization he said that he, it was his money that bought his friends. When the hard times came, there was nobody there. And uh, he died alone. And uh, anyhow, it's futility. Let's live for something that's meaningful. I really need to move along because I'm getting stuck. We're not foreign to God anymore. We're not Gentiles. So let's, let's live like the people of God. Let's live meaningful lives. It says regarding the Gentiles that they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. There's a mouthful in that. But when I read that, when you talk about the hardening of their hearts, it's, it, it, when you go back and, and look at the words that are related to that, it's literally talking about a callousing of their hearts. Have you got calluses on your hands because it's been rubbed on? You can get calluses on your feet. Ladies are scraping and rubbing and trying to get those things off. <laughs> I know I had a conversation with my mom. Don't tell her I said that. But life and the abrasions of life, the things that we go through, have a tendency to make us hard. It can harden us. Scripture talks, one of the first things that really stands out in this area is Pharaoh. Pharaoh rejected what Moses was telling him that God wanted to do. Set my pe let my people go. And Pharaoh, no, I'm not going to do that. It says he hardened his heart. And then there was another opportunity that God gave him to let his people go, and he hardened his heart. And if you re keep reading that, it's the hardening of the heart. What ends up happening that people, for some people, that they've been through so much hurt and so much pain that they no longer know how to, they no longer how to release and trust the Lord, and so they're, they're guarded. And for some people that, you know, you can meet someone the first time and they've got a bravado and a hurt. You know, they just they look like they're angry and they are creating a boundary between you and them. Why? Why? It's because they've been hurt so bad that they're creating this, I'm not going to let you get close enough to me to influence me or to hurt me, so I'm going to be gruff with you and show you who's boss. Because their pain has calloused their hearts. But it says here that, it, it talks in this passage, what we just read, it said they're darkened in their understanding. 
Romans 1 talks about that same type of thing, that those who rejected God, who hardened their hearts toward God, that they became, they became lost and blind in their understanding. They gave up the knowledge of God, and because of that, they became vulnerable to all kinds of things. The door opened up for all kinds of things that shouldn't have been in their lives. Why? Their hearts were hard. And in verse 19, it says, Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Having lost all sensitivity. One thing that's interesting about humanity around the world, even those who don't know God as we know him, that generally people have a sensitivity to not that there are certain things that should and should not be done. In most cultures, there's some kind of guidelines, some kind of law system in place that tell people you shouldn't do this, you should, you know, you're, this is allowed, and that's not. There, there, and even in the heart of man, there's an internal conscience that kind of nudges you when you're doing something that's wrong. Now, by ignoring that, you can callous your heart and lose that sensitivity to that. But... Um, it says here that they have lost the sensitivity. When somebody gives themselves to a sin, they step across that, that spiritual boundary and they give themselves to an area of sin. They are impacted by that on the inside and there's that nudge of conscience that lets them know you should not do that and then you should not have done that. But the more that they resist that nudge or that prompt from the Holy Spirit, it becomes easier and easier to give themselves into that sin. They're losing the sensitivity. That hearing on the inside or that listening that should be there has become numbed. They've given themselves over to sensuality. And then it says, you know, when you open that door, one time it's easier to do it another time and to allow another gray area, to step another gray area. It says to give themselves over to every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. So here's a good lesson. And that is this continual lust for more, sin's never satisfied. Don't think that it's just going to be one time. Don't think... That's just going to be one time. Sin always comes with a hook. You, the enemy will dangle a little morsel in front of you. Nobody's going to see. I can get away with it. That little fish in the water, fishing lesson for those of you who love fishing. But that little thing dangling in front of there, I've never seen something like that. Wow, that's, that looks good. What is that? That curiosity that becomes a fixation. The fixation becomes, well, maybe I'll just try it one time. And then just take a little bite, and it comes with a hook. Sin's the same way. The enemy never tries to tempt you into something without an intent to take you captive in that area. And if he's able to take you captive in that area, and you don't resist and get healing and get, get freedom from the Lord... He's going to take you into deeper and deeper sin. If it's sensual sin, if it's visual sin, if it's financial sin, a little white lie becomes a big white lie because you're having to cover the first one and all of a sudden there's this flood of people that you're having to defend yourself against and you end up in a position where, I, how did I get here? I didn't mean that it was just one little, it was just one time. But sin has a continual lust for more. It's an instairment. And we have to be mindful of that. Don't open the door to sin, folks. Y'all don't need to hear that, I know. Verse 20. We all need to hear that. I need to hear that. Okay? <clears throat> Verse 20. Let's get to some good news, okay? You, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. He's speaking to believers. But just to be real, he had to say that to believers because believers needed to know not to indulge sin. Don't harden your heart. Don't live according to that way. You, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in 
Jesus. I, I want to go back and, and just, can I just reflect here? It's curious to me, but it's interesting that he talks about Christ and he talks about Jesus. And, and it struck me when I was studying this that he talked about, but you didn't learn Christ in this way. And then he comes, talks about the truth that's in Jesus. So can we just look at that just a little bit? Because we know that in Christ, I'm not trying to make a distinction between Christ and Jesus. They are one and the same. In Christ, when he uses the term Christ, the Messiah or the anointed one, he's talking about that anointed one that was sent to bring redemption to the earth. He's talking about Jesus in all his fullness and his power and what he's here to establish and accomplish through the earth. There's an act, an, a dimension to that in how he used it in this place. So we're reflecting on the exalted one, the confirmed one, that he is the Christ he was the answer to all of man's kind. You didn't learn about him in the way that the Gentiles know about things. But he said that the way we learned about the anointed one in his fullness was in Jesus. So, again, I'm not trying to make a distinction between the two. I just want us to understand something. With regards to what Jesus accomplished in the earth, I heard uh, Dr. Um, Michael Brown talking if y'all are familiar with Dr. Michael Brown, I know Ralph is and some others are too. But he's an apologist and he had uh, a Jewish man, a Reformed Jew, challenging him on, on a, a talk show about uh, Michael Brown's embracing of the Messiah. And um, in doing so, the, the Reformed Jewish person said that, you know, you have left your Jewishness because you are believing in a trinity and trinity means there's three and not one and the bible clearly says that the lord is one and uh and i'm sharing this with you because it's a good resource for you in talking about god the trinity is a challenging theological uh, topic to explain to people why because he's god in all of his immensity how do you put that in a thymnal of conversation and try to fully explain who he is we don't even know. We can't explain the atom fully. We can tell the parts that we do know, but we can't explain it fully. But anyhow, Michael Brown, in trying to explain the Trinity, he said, do you believe that God could be enthroned in heaven, that his spirit can fill the whole earth, and yet he could appear to Abraham in a physical form? He did. Do you believe that when he was appearing to Abraham that he was still enthroned in heaven and that his spirit was still filling the whole earth? Well, God the Father, the Spirit filled the whole earth and Jesus walked on the earth. I thought, wow, that was good, wasn't it? Jesus came and appeared to us in human form so that he could teach us what God was like, teach us what the Father was like, teach us what, what, what he was like. And so... In human form, God was walking out amongst us, living amongst us, had subjected himself to the same type of dusty ground and the hunger and the same type of things that we deal with in life. He subjected himself to that so that he could show us himself and show us how that nature would live out among mankind and give us uh, a demonstration of what God is like and also, I believe, a demonstration of what he intends our response to people in our lives to be lived out in the earth. But he, that, don't you think that's a great representation? He was seated in the throne in heaven. He appeared to Abraham and yet his spirit filled the whole earth. That's God. How can somebody do that? That's physically impossible. You're right. He's supernatural. He's above And I'm, I just, can I, I, I don't know, this may, according to Webster, not be the right way to say this, but if, if I were to try to describe God, I would want to say, I could, I could step on a teacher's toes somehow, I feel like I'm going to, to high school again, but I just want to say, God's above supernatural. There are supernatural things in the spirit realm that are not of God. God is above all. He's in all. He's through all. He, he supersedes. He governs even the supernatural realm with regards to his lordship. It doesn't mean that everything that happens in the supernatural realm is his will. 
there's, there are beings that function there that are, are, not, uh, are, are not compliant to God's purposes and plan. But God's still sovereign. He still reigns. So if there's a term for that, above supernatural, I guess it means he's God, right? We'll go with that. Almighty. So to define what I was trying to say about Christ and Jesus, you, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. Surely you heard of him or were taught of him in accordance with the truth that was in Christ Jesus. What I'm trying to get to in this is that Jesus walked the earth. He did the, the works he demonstrated things so that we could understand the fullness of what it meant for him to be the Christ. And he was the Christ. From beginning to end, he was the Christ before he was born. He was the Christ while he lived in the earth. He was the Christ when he died and was resurrected. But Jesus walked among us to demonstrate what that anointed, powerful one is. The one who came to bring us healing and redemption, restoration in relationship with God. The demonstration of the power and authority that came along with that. And God intent, his intent is for us to walk that out in the earth for him today as his representatives. Okay. I, I get frustrated with some things in the body of Christ. And I find myself in all the splitting of the hairs and all the how quick people are to find contentious things. I just want to say, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to come back to the simplicity of him, walking with him and knowing him. I, I remember uh, when, I, uh, when I came back to the States after high school and was in college and, and was being exposed to a lot of different things and a lot of different churches, I, 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 I spoke to the Lord and I said, Lord, why do I feel displaced i don't feel at home in the body of christ why don't i feel it in i go to churches and there's uh, i feel distant i feel foreign and the lord i've shared this before but the lord spoke to me and i was very clear but lord said it's because they've they have um um what was that first word it's because that they have um help me lord if they've traded the simplicity of me for a formula. They've traded the simplicity of me for a formula. People have embraced the formula. We want to know who God is somehow, sometimes so that we can work that. So what has God promised? What can we get from him? You know, how do we get him to do what we want him to do? We want to understand him so we can kind of work him. Instead of just embracing him and knowing him. You see, if you walk with God and you know God in relationship, you have all that he is and everything that comes with that relationship. If you want his blessings or you want his provision or you want his salvation, I want to be free from my sin, or you want the authority, I want the power to do miracles. I want the ability to speak prophecies over people. I want the pieces and the parts, but you don't have the relationship. What ends up happening is you have powerfully promoted people that do amazing things and have character flaws, and it crumbles. But if you've got Jesus and you're walking in relationship with him, your, very your conversations with people become transformational because his life's being lived out from the inside. If I were to, I'm going to pick on Miss Elizabeth here. If I were to say, Pastor Eric, what's Elizabeth like? <laughs> Elizabeth, will you forgive me? If, if, if I were to ask you that, you could respond in various different ways. You could say, well, she's about this tall. You could t describe her hair color, her eye color. You could say how many fingers and toes she had. You know, just basic information. And we would have a knowledge about her. We could find out 
the places where Elizabeth worked in her life, and we could say, well, we know who Elizabeth is because she has done this with her life, so this is who she is. This is her job skills. We could have somebody tell us how deliciously she cooks food, and we could value her based on the fact, well, she's a fantastic cook. She can fry some chicken. You know, we could describe all the different things that she knows how to do, and we could assign a sense of knowledge and understanding of who she is based on her accomplishments in the kitchen, and she loves to host and do things for people. Don't get in her kitchen and get in her way, okay? She loves to have her space. But do we know her? Or do we know about her? Now, like no one else in this place, Pastor Eric has walked in relationship to her. And he knows her in all of those aspects and knows her deeper than we know her. So he is more qualified to tell us about her. But Pastor Eric, there's still more to know. Husbands, never say that you know everything about your wife, okay? Don't think you got it all. There are people who can stand behind podiums in universities and describe Jesus to you. In theory. But I studied music and I can tell you there's a lot of difference between theory and the expression of a song. You can get up there and play every note, sing every note in a song, and never give people the ability to experience the song. They never feel it because it doesn't, this doesn't play right. It's possible to tell people all about Jesus. There's people that go out there and will beat you up with Jesus. But have they experienced him? Paul says, that with everything that he knew and everything that he had been through, I want to know him. I want to know him. But Paul, you wrote the greater part of the, the New Testament. Don't you know him yet? I want to know him to the point to where I'm, I want to even fellowship in his suffering. Paul wasn't looking to have a rough life. He wasn't trying to, you know, there's different teachings in the body of Christ about suffering. I don't think that everything that you have on your life that's difficult was God's intent for you to have there. God doesn't, not trying to put hardship on you. I think the sufferings are supposed to be sufferings for the Lord if there are sufferings. Don't just suffer for the sake of suffering. Thank the Lord I'm suffering. Don't do that. If you go through things, there's grace for you. There's grace for you. And God can bring you out of those sufferings. In that place of difficulty and hardship, God can be gracious through you and people can see Christ in you. But folks, in everything that we go through, I want to know Him. I want to know Him. I want to walk with Him. I feel the Lord stirring in my heart again, a passion to, to, to know Him, not just to be busy about stuff, I'm loving the chronological read of the Bible this year. I'm enjoying my process. I'm dealing with King David and his son Absalom and, and all the hardship that came along with that. But in that driven chronological read, I find myself stopping and saying, Holy Spirit, I need you to teach me. I don't want to just go through this today. I want to experience this with you. And it's becoming more personal. I don't want to just run through it because this is what today says I have to do. I, just want to, I don't want to just go through the motions. I don't want to just bring my sacrifice to the house of the Lord. I don't just want to appear on Sunday morning because that's what people do on Sunday morning and somehow I might miss it. I don't want to just try to be nice and I don't want to just pay my tithes or give an offering. I, I don't want to just do Christianity. I want to walk with Christ because it's in that place that the refreshing comes. It's in that place that the renewal comes. It's in that place that the power becomes demonstrated. It's a, it's a hard road. A, a, a difficult and hurtful thing even for the body of Christ when people 
are able to demonstrate the power of God but not have the character and the life of Jesus manifest in their lives. You understand what I'm talking about? There are people that have names and get out there and do ministry and they've got an anointing, they've got the power of God in their life, but they're not really walking where they need to in relationship to Him. I want to know Christ. He says in verse 22, and you were taught with regards to your former, former way of life to put off the old self. You've been made a new creation in Christ. Hallelujah. The old man has been put away. You're a new man in Christ. To put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Recognize that. If there's deceitful desires, that's the old man trying to come back in. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. Listen to this. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I need to just qualify this here. Created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. I... I, I was talking to Daniel on the way here today, and I said, well, when it says created to be like God in righteousness and holiness, I, I know there are people I, that would love to focus on the created to be like God. Self-exaltation. We're created to be like God, okay? Let's tie the other part to it, in righteousness and holiness. Are we as eager to be righteous and holy as we are to want to... Manifest the righteousness, the likeness of God. Some people want the position and don't want the character and the nature. And let's talk about that. Created in the likeness and holiness of God. Is that an event or is that a process? I'm going to say yes to both. I think that you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. There was an event when you came to know God old man was wiped away your old record was wiped away you were sealed in him you were made righteousness you were made righteous in him but our lifestyle now needs to be changed so that we begin to manifest we begin to display we begin to walk it out it doesn't mean that day one we're going to have it all perfect but the transformational character of Christ inside of us begins to work out in our attitudes, in our thought life, in our conversation, in the way we conduct ourselves to where there becomes a demonstration of his righteousness and holiness in us to where progressively if we live our lives, when people come in contact with us, would you just take a hold of this for a minute? When people come in contact with us, they have an encounter with God, the Almighty, through his nature inside of us. So they're getting a taste of Jesus. Do people have a taste of Jesus when they come in contact with you? What is prominent, the old man or the new man? Don't answer. <laughs> Let's just say this. Progressively, people are starting to see Jesus more. I must decrease so that he can increase. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. If we get up here and talked about righteousness and holiness, I might lose you. No, it's, it's a good subject. We need to be righteous and holy people. Not man's kind of righteous and holy. It doesn't necessarily reflect hairdo. And it is an inward working of God's Holy Spirit that's transforming us on the inside and starts to change the way we live. Therefore, let me just, I want to read through these verses at least. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. So he gets very direct in this, okay? Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. What's he saying? Don't lie to people. People need to be able to hear your words and trust what you say. They need to be able to trust your lifestyle that when, they, when, when we're working in relationship to one another, we're one body, that people can believe what you say to them. Don't say nice things to somebody and talk about them behind their back. Don't say you're going to do something and intentionally, I mean, with the intention that you're not going to do it. I know sometimes people mess up and you intend to do something you don't. I, I'm guilty of that. There's sometimes where they have good intentions and then people are going to say, well, he didn't do it. Well, I meant to do it. I just, I forgot about it. Sorry. 
In your anger, do not sin. Anybody need an explanation of that? In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. So, folks, if you're boiling about something, Scripture tells us don't let a root of bitterness get inside you. I get upset about stuff. Don't let it carry over to the next day. That means you might need to make a phone call before you go to bed that night and get things right. It may mean that you need to get down on your knees beside your bed and pray before you go to bed. Don't take that anger or that resentment to bed with you that night and let it fester inside of you and take root. If you see briars come up, kill them. Get rid of them. I'm, trying, I'm getting to a place where I can close here. Don't let the devil get a, a foothold. Don't make a place in your life for the enemy to get control over you. A handhold and a foothold are two different things. When your foot gets in a place, your leg's a whole lot stronger than your hand. If you're trying to climb a, a mountain and you can get a foothold, you can take another step forward. If someone can get their foot in your door, you can't slam the door. If you get their finger in the door, you can still slam the door. <laughs> They're going to boof that hand. But the foot, they probably got a shoe on. It's not, they, they're, getting a, they're getting an entrance into your life. Don't allow the enemy. Look, the enemy is subtle. He will make enticing things. He will use opportunities. I have the right to be offended. Did you see what they did to me? Let it go. Let it go. That offense is presumptuous of the fact that their intent was really to bring harm. It may have been to bring harm, but sometimes we are just interpreting. You know what? A lot of times the way we interpret other people's actions is really based on what's going on the inside. Reflection, mirroring. You can actually put on somebody else. You can actually put on somebody else what you're actually dealing with on the inside. You put anger on them. You... you think that they are rejecting you because you feel rejected don't give the enemy a foothold he who is stealing must steal no longer but must work look jesus came to establish an order in the earth he's turning things upside down he's turning things upside down if you think that god didn't come into your life i mean that he came into your life and he didn't intend to change you you're wrong Human nature resists change, but the Spirit of God embraces it. Matter of fact, that's what he's here for. He wants to change you. Are you willing to be changed? Are you willing to submit to the plow of the Lord? Are you willing to submit to him turning things upside down if you also have his promises that it's for your good? Are you willing to trust him with transformation? If he wants to produce something through your life, are you willing to do that? Are, are we wanting a piece of God with regards to his blessings, his provision, his protection, or are we submitted to his purpose? Do something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Already that's contrary. Do something that you can do. Take what you have that you know how to do. Take what God puts in your heart to do so that you're blessed says here so you've got something to give somebody else isn't that a reversal what if god blesses you so that you can be a blessing the interesting thing in the old testament god said don't think when you are blessed and when you have all these things that somehow you've done that no i have blessed you i have blessed you why because god's got a kingdom that he's establishing in the earth Sure, he wants you to have all that you need to be provided for, but he also wants you to recognize that he gives you things so that you can be a blessing to other people. Who do you know that has a need? Have you got two of something? Could you share it with somebody else? Who do you know that has a need? How much is enough? Keep the main thing the main thing. If we want him, and if we want to know Jesus, if we're continually walking towards him, we're endeavoring to walk in relationship to, to him, so many of the other things come into place the way they should be.
Our attitudes to the people we come in contact with will change. Our expectation. This morning I got up and I was on the way here and I was talking with Daniel. He was driving me. We missed the next and almost went to Rocky Mount. <clears throat> but I said, this is a great day. I said, I, every day I get up, I think, I'm excited. I might meet somebody or I'm going to have an encounter with somebody. God's going to do something awesome today. This is a great day. I look forward to getting to the end of the day so I can talk about what happened during the day. But I want to be able to say what Christ did in this moment. Look, let's continue to pray for the people in our body that are going through things. Scott's still up in Duke. He's still in ICU. He's had a roller coaster ride of it. Today they were going to get him up and take him for a walk. And uh, so that's progress. Praise the Lord for that. Karen said, just asked her, what do you want me to say? She said, just tell people to keep praying that he's making some progress, but he still needs a lot of prayer. So we're going to do that. Karen's been up there sleeping at the hospital all week long. My hat's off to her about that. There's a lot of people that have need, but that's why we're a body working together or walking together. Let's link arms. Let's, let's get through this together. And let's have babies. Where's Adam and Allison? Folks, I don't want to be shaker people hanging our chairs up on the wall and not birthing babies. I want to be good at raising kids, spiritual kids, discipling and teaching them about the Word of God. That's what we're going to be dealing with on Wednesday night, the Word of God. And uh, having the opportunity to just say, look, this is how it's broken down. And if you need understanding about this, let me just tell you, this is what this book is basically about. And here's a good place for you to read. Just giving them some tools so that they can not be dependent on us, but so they can grow up in their faith and have their own awesome experience with Jesus. I'm going to stop talking because I want to go eat. Y'all ready to eat? Let's go spend some time together. Would y'all stand with me? Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know what? We have so many little times like this that don't really feel like other churches. It's not all scripted and laid out like that, but so be it. Can we just take a moment and just invite the Lord to walk this journey with us? Just in your own heart, would you just speak to him right now? Jesus, come be with us. We want to walk hand in hand with you, heart to heart. We want to know your thoughts, dear God. We want to know you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I don't want us to be a people that know all about you. I don't want us to be scripted and have, a, have a, a, a chart laid out with all your promises and all the things that you said that you would be to us. God, I want us to walk with you. I want us to know you. I want the power that comes to life or comes to us through life, dear God, to be from the fact that we know our Savior, that we're walking with you. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you've come to dwell inside us, to lead us in all truth, to teach us your ways to transform us from the inside out, to convict us where we need to be convicted, but to infill us in such a way that we have power to live this life for you. God, people in this world around us desperately need to see hope and to have an opportunity to walk in relationship to you. We are the billboard. We are the sign. We are the word to them. Be near us, Lord God, and may the encounters that we have lead people to you. Lord, I pray for a release of transformational power into our lives and through our lives into those that we come in contact with. Do it, Lord Jesus, in the name of Jesus, right here, right now. I sense the anointing of the Lord. Just receive what God has for us. Transform our minds, dear God, so that we become agents of renewal and restoration to everyone that we come in contact with. That is our calling. That is our calling, that we introduce people to you. And it's not just about getting them to pray a prayer. It's about bringing them into relationship so they can live a life. Jesus, be glorified. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Right here in my life first.
but throughout the whole earth. And Lord, we give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love living life with you guys. God bless you. Let's go have some fun. Mm -hmm.